Galatians, the fifth chapter, and I'll read verses 6 through 12. In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is of any avail, but faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine. And he who is troubling you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. But if I, brethren, still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? In that case, the stumbling block of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would mutilate themselves. We're going to spend all of our time now on verse 6. There's probably not a more important verse, unless it would be verse 5, in all the book. So let's begin with verse 5 and recall it from last week. Uh, Verse 5 says that there's coming a day when a verdict, final verdict, will be announced over every person. And on that day, all God's children will be made wholly righteous. We are waiting for that hope of righteousness. And the way we wait is very crucial. You can either wait through the flesh by works, or you can wait through the Spirit by faith. Verse 5 says, wait through the Spirit by faith. Then verse 6 is given as an argument or reason, a ground for why we should live like that, through the Spirit, by faith. And the reason is, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is of any avail, but faith working through love. The reason we should live by faith and not by works is that Works, like circumcision, get nowhere with God. They don't win anything from Him. In fact, they positively offend Him because they contradict free grace. Whereas faith has power, the implication is, to win or avail all things that we need from God. The whole inheritance of life and blessing forever. And the reason is because faith or trusting in God, honors His free grace. When you trust God's promises, you put Him on His honor, and when He is on His honor, He grants gifts in freedom. Now, someone may ask, is there really that big of a difference between a work like circumcision and an act like faith? I mean, aren't they really both acts of the human soul What's the big difference so that so much can be made to hang on whether the heart does one or does the other? So I want to take you to Romans chapter 4 briefly. If you're following in your Bible, this will be worth turning to. Romans chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, because these two verses are the best definition of works in the New Testament that I know of. And since they're the best definition of works, they also shed tremendously important light on the nature of 
faith. Romans 4, 4 and 5. Now to the one who works, his wages are not reckoned as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but trusts him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. First of all, notice from verse 4 what it means to live by works. To live by works means to have the mindset of an employee. With God as your employer and you supplying him with needed services, which he then compensates with wages, which you deserve. They are your due. So a person who has the mindset of works deals with God as employee to employer expecting wages. Now that's the essence of legalism. That's the essence of works religion. Us working for God, him paying out wages which are our due. But notice verse 5. The first mark of faith is that you stop thinking of yourself as an employee of God for whom you are working. You stop working. Notice that? To one who does not work. Faith is not added to works, nor are works added to faith. Faith excludes works. Totally. God is not our employer who needs our labor and pays for it. I am the needy person in this relationship. He is the skilled workman with all the know-how, with all the integrity, with all the power, with all the goodwill, and it flows my way. My deficiencies are being filled up in this transaction, not his. He doesn't owe me anything at all. So in the mindset of faith, I never, never, never should work to supply God with any of his deficiencies, as though he had any, but rather always trust that he is the workman at his hardest for my good. That's the mindset of faith. Let's try to distinguish now works and faith from a different angle. The human heart, your heart, is fundamentally characterized by desires. All day long, your heart is churning desires onto the surface of your mind. You want this, you want that, you desire this, you long for this, you yearn for that. And those desires define your heart. As surely as sparks fly upward, your heart is pumping out desires all day long. Now let's try to define faith, and works in terms of those inevitable human desires. Here's my definition of works on those terms. The heart that is set on works, or we could say the mind that is set on the flesh would be the same thing. That's Paul's term. The heart that is set on works desires the thrill of feeling its will and its body rise victoriously to a challenge. 
That is the fundamental desire of the heart that is set on works. It attempts to scale vertical faces of mountains. It takes on loads of extra responsibilities at work. It may risk its life in a war zone. It may kill itself trying to complete a marathon. It may perform religious duties of fasting for weeks on end. Anything and everything to know the wonderful thrill of the will and the body rising victoriously to conquer an obstacle. That's fundamentally what the heart that is set on works wants. Even though it is true that that same heart will at time plummet into all manner of gross, immoral dissipations because it wants its independence and its self-styled pleasure, more often than not, at least in this moral country, the heart, that same heart, that same heart that has degenerated into dissipation discovers there is another kind of thrill to be had through self-denial, courage, personal greatness, and goes after those things. The heart that is set on works longs for, desires the thrill of feeling itself overcome obstacles, conquer challenges. Faith is very different than that. The heart that is set on faith desires just as strongly. It has desires that are just as intense. But what faith desires is the thrill of feeling God conquer the challenge in us and through us. Works once the thrill of feeling itself overcome an obstacle. Faith wants the thrill of feeling God, mighty within us, overcoming the obstacles that face us in life. Works longs for the joy of being glorified as capable, strong, and smart. Faith longs for the joy of feeling God glorified. For his capability, strength, and wisdom. In its religious form, the heart of works, the heart that is set on works, sees morality as a challenge. It's a mountain to be climbed. And it accepts the challenge. And it undertakes the conquering of that obstacle with great zeal and force and exertion. And when it has achieved great lengths, it offers it as a gift to God for his applause and his thanks and his recompense. But faith also accepts the challenge of morality. The challenge of God's will. But only as an occasion to experience being an instrument of God's power. And when the victory is won, and it will be won by those who live by faith, the wreath is taken, 
and laid at the feet of the Savior so that he is seen to be the one who gets the glory and the honor and the thanks. I hope, brothers and sisters, that you have heard over the past four months there are two different religions in the church, a religion of works and a religion of faith. In every church, there are people who live by both, and they are different religions, one leading to life and one leading to death, both appearing very moral. And my great longing over this half year we've spent together in Galatians, and it'll take us right through August, is that you have felt deeply drawn to the side of faith. And that the word of God has been cultivating strong desires to be a person who trusts rather than works for God. Now the big question. How is it that that kind of faith always inevitably produces love? That's what verse 6 of chapter 5 of Galatians says. Circumcision, uncircumcision, they don't cut anything with God. But faith does. What kind of faith? Only faith which works through love. So the big question we must face is how does faith work through love? He is not saying that we are justified by two things. Justified by faith and justified by works of love. You are justified by one thing. Faith. But this faith, inevitably, by its very nature, works through love. How so? That's the question. How does it work? We need a definition of love to make any progress here. So let me try one out on you. See if this doesn't sound biblical. We love other people when we stop using them to supply our deficiencies and instead rejoice in the divine enablement to be used to supply their deficiencies. And I'll repeat that because I've crafted it very carefully. And all, it's all important. We love another person when we stop using them, which is always abusing, using them to supply our deficiencies, whether it's an ego trip or money. Or anything. And instead, start rejoicing in the divine enablement for us to start supplying their deficiencies. In other words, we become a means to their end because God has supplied our deficiencies. To use some biblical language, love seeks not its own. Love rejoices in the right. Or, love is what happens when a heart is gripped by the truth that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, how does faith inevitably produce that kind of person? Because that's what verse 6 is saying. Faith will produce that kind of person. And it's very important that that kind of person get produced according to this verse. I think it works in two ways. Faith produces love by what it pushes out of the heart when it comes in, and faith produces love by a new appetite that it gives to the heart. We'll look at each of those in turn. First, 
Faith produces love by what it pushes out of the heart when it comes in. Faith pushes out of the heart three things. Guilt, fear, and greed. You could see that by yourself, but let me just give you a little help. It pushes out guilt because it is confident that when Jesus died, all my sins were atoned for. It takes the promises of the atonement seriously. Ephesians 1, 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, past, present, and future. They were cleaned up at Calvary. Faith hears it, rests in it, is clean. No more guilt. Faith pushes out fear. You know that's true in your own life. Why does it push out fear? Because it is a confidence in the promises of God. Promises like God works for those who wait for him. Or promises like fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. I am your God. I'll help you. I'll strengthen you. I'll hold you up with my victorious right hand. Faith hears a promise like that, stakes its life on it, and fear vanishes. Because God is so powerful and loving and at work in our lives. And faith pushes out greed. This hankering after more things. Why? Because faith really believes Philippians 3 when Paul says that he values Christ so much everything else is rubbish. Christ is really more valuable than anything the world could ever offer and therefore greed is gone. Therefore, faith pushes out guilt, fear, and greed. And I ask you, is it not guilt, fear, and greed that stop you from loving most of the time? Take some examples. You feel guilty. What happens when you feel guilty? When you're weighed down with guilt? You wallow sometimes. This is one option. You wallow in depressed self-centeredness, self-pity. And you are so wrapped up in your depression and guilt, you can't see anybody else's need, let alone care to do anything about it. Guilt chokes love. Or, if you're not the kind of person who gets depressed with your guilt, maybe you pull hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. In other words, you spend all your time guarding your inner guilt so nobody can see it. And you know what that does to relationships? Makes them totally phony. Right? You're a phony and you can't love if you're a phony. You're always calculating how to keep people in their right position so they can't see. And that's not love. Or you may be the person who instead of being a hypocrite or going into depression becomes very critical. And it's a maneuver that's very clever because if you can highlight everybody else's faults and their guilt, then yours is minimized. Is that loving? No. Therefore, guilt is a choke on love and faith, moving guilt out, frees you for love. Or you become fearful. What happens when you become afraid? You don't go to the stranger across the aisle at the end of the service. You make a beeline straight for your car. 
or your class. Why? Scared? You want to know what to say? Scared they might have been here two years already and you think they're a stranger? All kinds of fears. Fear governs the life and keeps you from loving the people in this room after services on Sunday. I get statistics from visitors. I was greeted by one person. Two. Surrounded by 300. I want that to change. If you trust God, it will change because faith drives out fear and you will not have that excuse anymore. Or it keeps you from accepting a call to missions, this fear. Why? Too dangerous. Or fear causes you to waste money on excess insurance that ought to be going to other purposes. Maybe. Or we get swallowed up in all manner of little phobias that make us so preoccupied with ourselves that it's like guilt. We can't see beyond our face to know what the needs are, let alone care about meeting them. So fear is a great choke on love. And when faith comes in and wipes away fear, it frees us to love. Or you might experience greed. Everybody experiences greed to some degree or another. Unless faith has completely conquered in your life. What does greed do? It makes you spend money on luxuries that ought to be going to support the gospel ministry. There are two billion people in this world who don't have living church in their cultures. And much of the reason is because the money isn't flowing to missions who have missionaries ready and eager to go. And what are we doing with our money? We're greedy. We're living a lot higher than we need to live. Or greed causes us to focus on things instead of people. You have that orientation? Think about things all the time. Even when you look at a person, you see things, dress, earring, hair, or maybe they can be maneuvered into supplying me with something. Greed is a great enemy of love. And faith is an enemy of greed. And when it wins... Greed is gone and we're free to love. So isn't it plain that if you trust the promises of God, you're going to get freed from your guilt, freed from your fears, freed from your greed. And what will stop you from loving then? Do you know, this is a great test to just keep in your mind right through the week. All your unloving behavior can be traced back to one thing. Unbelief in the promises of God. I've tested myself again and again on my sins. They all go back to that source. I can usually find a promise that if I had believed it, that God was really that kind of a God, was really working that hard for my good, I wouldn't have done what I did. I wouldn't have said what I said. Unbelief is the great problem in the church and that's why my one mission as a pastor is to build faith. But I said that faith produces love not only by what it pushes out of the heart, but by a new appetite that it puts into the heart. And the appetite, we've seen it already, is for this. Faith uh, has an appetite for the thrill of feeling God rising victoriously over the obstacles of our lives and conquering them 
as we do his will. Faith cherishes the experience of having God overcome obstacles in our lives. In other words, faith not only pushes out guilt, fear, and greed, but it gives a positive impulse. Picture yourself in your living room at home, and you're guilty, fearful, and greedy. And so you take up God's word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's the way you fight the fight of faith. You take up the word and you sit with the Bible and you begin to read and peruse. And one by one, almighty God applies his word to your soul and frees you from guilt. You feel it lifted, frees you from fear, feel more boldness and courage, frees you from greed. You feel content with what you have. You don't need that extra thing. But what's going to get you off the sofa onto the street? To help the guy who's, you hear the, you hear the motor, it's a dead of winter, four below zero, somebody ought to go help that guy, right? What is going to get you out of that warm, cozy living room, put your coat on, get out there, get all wet, and by the time you get there, you know the car's going to be out. What is it? You've got to have more. Don't you? More than just getting rid of fear and greed. You need some positive propulsion. You know what I think that is? I think it's an appetite to long or an appetite to experience the power of God overcoming sin, selfishness in your life. You know, if you just stop there and think a minute, that If you get up and trouble yourself to put on the coat, get on the boots, head out there, risk it being somebody who doesn't want your help anyway, risk him driving away and thumbing his nose at you, risk anything that might happen, a heart attack, you know that as you walk out there, you are going to be flooded with the joy that God conquered you and overcame the obstacles to love. And it will be thrilling More thrilling than the comfort of sitting there in your warm chair watching TV or reading the paper. Lots more thrilling, though the body will argue with you very strong about that. What is it that is going to propel us at Bethlehem to greet strangers when we feel shy? What will propel us to go to our enemy in the church and plead for reconciliation when we think it's his fault anyway? What is going to be the positive propulsion to cause you to give more liberally? Say, start with a tithe. Maybe you've never even tried tithing. When you wonder how in the world you could afford it. What is going to propel you to speak to your colleagues about Christ? Or welcome into your house new neighbors to have a meal or to start a Bible study when you wonder what to say for so many hours together and it might not go well and you let obstacles win. What is going to propel you to cross cultures with the gospel? What is going to propel us to admit that we're homosexual and we need counseling so that we can begin to straighten out our relationships instead of concealing this problem? What is going to propel you to create a new ministry for alcoholics in Elliott Park with all the 
inconvenience that will cause? What's going to propel us to give an evening to drive a van for the junior high? What's going to compel us to get up early one morning a week and pray for renewal? Those things are costly and they don't just happen, do they? They don't just happen. Something pushes them out. Something inside's got to have pressure. There's got to be a desire, a longing, a yearning that sends us into those hard things. And I think it is an appetite for the thrill of experiencing the power of God in your life. Faith loves to rely on God and see him work miracles in us. And therefore, faith pushes you toward a current where that power is flowing. Picture yourself hungry for God's power. You have him fully in your life. It has tasted so sweet, this grace, that you're ready to just throw yourself into the stream of his power wherever it is. And you look around, where's the stream of power flowing? And you know where it's always flowing? It's always flowing in the river of love. If you inconvenience yourself in the act of love, you're in the stream of power and you will feel it. And you will come back at the end of a hard day and though you may have scars and be hurt and perplexed, wow, what a fulfillment. What a thrill to have been mastered by God. Let me sum up now and we'll be finished. Works like circumcision, avail nothing, verse 6 says, but faith only, working through love. Works is the mentality that I am an employee of my employer God, supplying the services that he needs so that then he will be responsible to thank me or pay me wages which I am due. That's one kind of religion. Faith, on the other hand, will not work for God like that ever, does not picture him as an employer. It pictures me as needing his, his services, him working for me with all his integrity and power and love and supplying my deficiencies. Works love the praises that come from overcoming obstacles. Faith loves giving God the praises that come from him enabling us to overcome obstacles. And all of that faith produces love. Love is when you stop using people to supply your deficiencies and instead receive all your sufficiency from God so that then you enjoy the divine enablement for you to meet the deficiencies of other people. You become a means to their end. And how does faith produce that kind of love? By pushing some things out of the heart which hinder Love, guilt, fear, greed, and by sweeping into the heart with a new hunger, a new appetite, namely the appetite for a certain kind of thrill. You see, I am a hedonist through and through. I want thrills. And God wants me to want him as my thriller. Faith has learned that the greatest joy in life is throwing itself onto God's promises or onto acts of love where his power flows mightily so that we feel it gushing through us and enabling us to overcome the obstacles of our sin or selfishness and change the world. In Christ, 
neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is of any avail, but faith only. But a particular kind of faith, a faith which works itself out through love. Let's stand for closing prayer. Father in heaven, I thank you for the love that abounds at Bethlehem. I consider myself so fortunate as a pastor that there is goodwill in this church, that people respect one another and long for each other's good. But Lord, there's some room for improvement, and I simply pray that you will make us at Bethlehem so confident in your word of promise that we are freed from guilt and fear and greed and feel welling up in us even right now as this service ends an appetite to experience your power to enable us to love one another. In Jesus' name I pray. And all the people said, Amen.